Welcome back to Sugar Nutmeg. This is Alexandra. And this is Ruth. In this episode, we talk to queer writer and interdisciplinary researcher Nurdian Shah Dalijo, the author of Rumah di Tanah Rempah or Tales from the Spice Islands. If you've wondered about the name of this podcast or how it's related to the topics we talk about, you'll find the answers in the stories that Dian shares with us. Also in this episode, Alexandra finally finds the answers to the problem in her life. Well, if you're interested in what her biggest problem is, then let's face and find out. And can I ask um, sort of a, a random question? So I'm really, really curious about why there are so many foods in Indonesia that have so many different names. Um, because this is something that is, I guess, I guess like it's not a big problem in my life, but I realize it's, it's a common issue where I talk about this food and then people know this food, but then they know it by a different name. So I guess like the common one is like martabak and terang bulan. Um, and then there's there's another one. Um, I think like we were talking about like bakwan, bakwan jagung, but then like in, in other places they call it dadar jagung. Yeah, in Betawi or Banten, they call it balabala. Balabala, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you you also like posted about Nagasari and Naga, like how you were saying Nagasari has like so many different names and something that people thought was like very specifically Javanese or something like is actually something that is all over Southeast Asia. Yeah, it's like, for example, yeah, I asked you about um, who is orang Indonesia? Who is Indonesian? Or maybe what is makanan Indonesia or Indonesian food? Like my face as a Japanese Indonesian or not? Or your your face, for example, look like a Chinese Indonesian. Indonesian or not? Something like that. So I think something with foods, yeah. We we can like like the tradition of noodles. Everywhere in the archipelago, we have mi Aceh, we have mi Jawa, we have mi Bangka, etc. Like every region or every place have their own context, have their own history. So we don't translate like uh, pempe from Palembang as fish cake with spicy vinegar uh, soup or sauce something like that uh, so so I, I think like I mean like something like with um, when we talk about identity yeah um, orang Jawa Japanese orang Sumatra Sumatran people they are like a mosaic for Indonesia so um, why so many foods uh, like like for certain foods have uh, so many names in many different parts of Indonesia because like every region have their own history yeah um, for example like martabak martabak like in in maybe in in West Java or in Bangka Belitung people some people call it as terang bulan because it it looks like a full moon mm, yeah. uh, but also like in padang 
they don't have sweet martabak they have like martabak so, telur yeah. and then w- if we say about where to buy martabak in padang then people will coin kedai who sell that sell martabak Savory telur martabak ya yeah. yeah um like mi aceh well mi aceh has history that connect um aceh with Chinese people there, but we 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 don't call it like we don't uh, compare it to like noodles in Bangka Belitung area because actually they are totally different, yeah. Mm-hmm. Different noodles, different ingredients, different on how they serve the noodles. Yeah. So I think it represents the hybridity of our identity as as Indonesian. And also, I mean, like foods can also help us to remember so many uh, things in the past. Like, for example, when we talk about mi Aceh, we know that Aceh is the most like populous Muslim country. Not just populous, yeah, but also like they implement Sharia law now. Um, some people. can judge Aceh as a region that intolerate to other people that are not Muslim and not Acehnese. But through Mi Aceh, we cannot deny the existence of uh, the Chinese people there mm. so long ago. Yeah. So I mean, like the food tradition survives and keeps evolving and It helped us to remember those things, yeah. The history, the mm-hmm. our hybridity, um, non-binary identity. Um, do you do you think that? I guess that that is very true. And I'm wondering how do we um, raise the awareness that. food shows the history of a region because I think like right now people are aware about all these different foods, but they don't know how, they don't know the connection to the past. They don't know how that food is like influenced by this or that. They're just like, oh, the, it's it's food from Aceh and that's it, for example. Um, I guess my question is, you know, like how, like for, for instance with me, Aceh, like how 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 to raise the awareness and how to educate people that um i think vice did a documentary on uh noodle i think in indonesia that could be one of the way to uh kind of spread the the knowledge and your book too mm-hmm. i think it's okay. <laughs> thank you but but also like it's so easy for us indonesian yet to notice about that for example like we have same name for noodles yeah mi so so mi aceh mi bangka mi jawa so so actually um through 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 the words um names of the food that we have in indonesia actually it already uh give us such a clue or such mm. an awareness to explore more But I think like it would be more great for us if we want to pay attention to, 
to explore more about the history. I mean, like if you travel to Aceh and then you try to get me Aceh at local kedai or local restaurant, and then why not to start such a small conversations with with the native people there, and then try to talk about everything, not just about the food or me Aceh, but but then you can learn about oh me as a Japanese and also them as an Achenese. Um, totally different, but we can sit on the same table and we can talk about uh, so many things over good food. Yeah. And and the food there, like me Aceh, is not taken for granted, yeah. Um like the presence of me Aceh. We, we we cannot deny the presence of Chinese people there. So maybe we can raise more tolerance, more respect, and also mm. more efforts to understand more about the differences that we have here. So th- I think that's the unity in diversity. Yeah? So it's not just a tourism jargon for Indonesia right. only. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the contrary, because uh, we, you were talking about me as a Indonesian name for noodle, right? And I went to this um, Pontianak restaurant and they have bubur. And I was like, oh, let me try the bubur. But their bubur is like literally rice with like like a soup, like rice soup. It's not like a bubur that I thought. Like, like bubur like suka bumi, totally different, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting. So yeah. so I run into that problem a, a lot where I I think I'm talking about this food and then I get something else or like I'm just having mm. a conversation with a friend and then it turns out like either we're talking about the same food with different names or like we're talking about different food. Um but so so my my question is there so there it's like the same food in all of this different regions with different names. Is there a common, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a common introduction? Uh, uh, what's the word? Is there a common origin of some sort that introduced these foods to the all of these different islands uh, or places or provinces? Well, I but, think but noodles I think from Chinese. Yeah, noodles also. Yeah, it's so general. It's so genuine here. But we cannot say that Mi Aceh is pure Aceh because nothing is pure mm-hmm. when we talk about culture and identity. But also, like it's interesting if we want to pay attention on nasi kuning or mm-hmm. tumpeng, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like nasi kuning is everywhere. Like you can find nasi kuning tradition in Sumatra, in Java. In Maluku, Sulawesi, um, not all regions in Indonesia, but but many parts of this country have nasi kuning tradition, and it's so interesting because like in Indonesia we use turmeric for mm-hmm. the yellow color of mm-hmm. the nasi kuning, mm-hmm. uh, but of course not just turmeric, but also other spices, yeah. But some some People agree to link nasi kuning tradition with the relationship that we have with Arab people or Indian people mm. because they use uh, what is the, 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 the 
the specific or the most expensive uh, spice there that that give you like the yellow color? I think it's cayenne. No? Cayenne is pepper, right? No, no. Uh, apa ya? Yang dari bunga, dari yeah, bunga yeah. yang putiknya dipakai itu loh. Yeah. Uh, iya, jadi saffron. Saffron. Saffron, ya. So it's so interesting, ya, because we don't have saffron here. Um, so we use turmeric to for for the yellow color for the mm. nasi kuning, ya. And also like nasi kuning, uh, so embedded not just to our habit for the breakfast because in some Sulawesi and Maluku. Uh, so common to have nasi kuning as breakfast, but also like in Java, we have what we call tumpeng from nasi kuning. And also in Sumatra, uh, they also have that tradition that we use nasi kuning not just for breakfast, but also as a symbol of gratitude yeah, to the God and also to the nature. Uh, you think that is because of the the huge Japanese transmigrants from Java to Sumatra, and then they carry the that. No, no. What I'm or, trying to okay. say is about like how great it is that um, we are so open to um, accept uh, something that is not grow here. But we adopt that, like the nasi kuning, mm-hmm. and then we adjust uh, that with our resources, with our local resources, because we have turmeric here. Then we use that, and it's it's so interesting. And on how nasi kuning and then spread uh, the tradition, yeah, spread across the archipelago, and every region adopt it and contextualize that tradition with their own culture yeah so nasi kuning ca- can be so general we can say it it's so indonesian it's so makanan indonesia nasi kuning but you will find different nasi kuning when you visit manado in sulawesi and also you try nasi kuning in jakarta or betawi yeah um and then people will not argue about that or against about that mm, or claim mm, that oh betawi yeah. uh, still my culture for example <laughs> if i'm manado mm. or maybe if i'm manado say like oh nasi kuning originally from uh, batavia or betawi or jakarta no but yeah don't you think like if we can apply that that thing to other differences for example like sexual orientation and also minority other minorities here mm. it would yeah, be yeah, great yeah. and mm. yeah. yeah yeah is it big the the community of like queer writers in indonesia or jakarta specifically i don't i don't think so because we don't have um supporting environment or good uh, support system to inspire queer people to write and also not many publishers major publishers here uh welcoming queer writers to send uh their work 
So yeah, the situation after the outrage Atlantis case in Jakarta, mm-hmm. um, things getting so hard because the government and the police, um, the access so limited here for mm-hmm. the queer people to express ourselves like um, persecution um, and then also like head crimes and sometimes uh, it's not just from the people uh, but also from public servant and government mm. people yeah and legislator it's kind of um I guess like hearing you say that, I realized that maybe I am in this bubble because I feel like the literature that I read, the contemporary Indonesian literature that I read is um, is full of a lot of queer writers, like queer identifying writers um, who publish a lot of English language poetry and prose. And I feel like, oh, I read that a lot, which means like, oh, Indonesia is like becoming more progressive. But then I hear you say that and I'm like, oh, right. I, I remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you can, I think, I mean, I, I mean, like we can count them. Yeah. 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 Um, we can count. Yeah. Not many. Lah. <laughs> if we compare to other countries or also we compare to other non-queer writers here in Indonesia. Yeah, it's yeah. sad that the canon is still very cis, straight, male, Javanese, yeah, Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So how, like, so what's the story that, because now you're, you work with Gramedia, right? The biggest publishing house in Indonesia. So, yes. so, I mean, like, in comparison to what you just said, it's very hard for queer writers to find a publisher before, but you work with the biggest publishing house. So is it, is it because um, even though you identify as gay that your book is not about sexuality, it's about something very general that they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Is that why? Yes, exactly. Mm. <laughs> but I mean, like, do you notice when you read about the book, like, do you notice that the writer is queer or gay with the narratives that I explore in this book? I don't know. <laughs> I think um, some gay people here notice about their narratives about uh, the writer as queer. Mm-hmm as a queer who travel exploring about the history, about foods, about things. And this is also my perspective and my narrative as queer people. So I don't write a lot or very frankly about me as a queer, but I think I need to be more strategic with with the text, with mm. the angle, mm. like I, 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 yeah. I want um, queer people to notice that the book is written by a queer writer, but I don't really care with the straight people reading about the, this book and they don't notice anything about queer stuff in this book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So how is this project came about? 
what inspired you or was it your dream to travel around Indonesia and uh, study about the spices and the food? Um, I feel so obsessed to explore or to taste uh, foods in this archipelago. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, me as urban kid was born and also raised in Jakarta in a new order regime. Um, I feel like um, the need to questions about who am I as Indonesian, who is orang Indonesia, and what is Indonesia as a home for so many people with different backgrounds, race, religions, um, gender, and also um, this is a home for thousands of indigenous peoples. We speak so many languages here. So is it only a jargon for us with the unity in diversity? Because we never acknowledge about the LGBT people. (laughs) We never acknowledge about the minorities, yeah? Uh, Especially um, because we only acknowledge six religions. What about other religions? Because all six religions actually are imported (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah, so... And, 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 and although with minorities though yeah. like the the west pop ones like unless we have like a big event like asian games then we brought them and then just to show the culture <laughs> other than yeah. that i don't know yeah it's such a uh, irony yeah mm-hmm. mm. so, so yeah. that that is what inspired you to uh taste indonesia in a sense Yes, true foods. <laughs> <laughs> I think like uh, food represents um, how do you call it? The resilient power at a time when hybridity and pluralism are pushed aside in favor of political othering. Yeah, mm. um, I mean it's so hard to explore about the history of Indonesia for young people here to get the narratives about, for example, uh, the massacre in the past with the Partai Komunis Indonesia, um, and also with so many human rights violations here. They uh, give us, and also so many people here, uh, trauma. People are still scared or maybe reluctant to talk about that to explore about their pain that they've been hiding for for example but also for me foods also as an approach like you can talk about everything with indonesian people over food and also good coffee yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah that's why um and also it's such a good medium also to uh, spread the message uh, about the alternative narratives, like the alternative narratives about our history, um, talk about our identity through foods, like 
it would be easier for me as not an historian, <laughs> I'm just a writer, I'm just a traveler, to talk about the history of PKI through Pempe in Palembang, South yeah. Sumatra, for example. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I think foods connect us to so many things here. Yeah, Ru- you know, Ruth and I were talking about how basically it's almost impossible to um, to talk about the history of Indonesia without talking about food because the reason Indonesia is Indonesia is because the Dutch came for the nutmeg um, and the other spices. And then after they left, you know, the United Nations were like, oh, it's better to just keep the same areas that have been colonized under the same um, colonizer and just make that a country instead of because if 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 all of these areas were not colonized by the Dutch who came for the nutmeg then Indonesia would be like all these different countries because from your book it it shows that the different islands are so different from each other right yeah but I think also the the, the histories of kingdoms that creates this dream of Nusantara or Indonesia or whatever. There's always this lurking in the bag that, oh, we used to be one, no? From the kingdoms, but the kingdoms were at war with each other, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Sriwijaya was quite, they had a power for quite some times. And then after that, Majapahit, right? And then they uh, brought up their border to, I don't know, Philippines and stuff. But can you in- imagine if you you are not as a uh, Sumatran or Japanese, for example, like let's say I'm uh, someone from Maluku, and 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 what does it mean to talk about that kingdom, Sriwijaya yeah. or right, also yeah, Majapahit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I think that's a Japanese dream, yeah. though. Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Japanese kingdom. We we always uh, love yeah, to glorify about our ancient kingdoms. I mean, I mean, it, it is good. It is part of our history that in the past we have big uh, kingdom that so popular, not just here in the archipelago but also in the world, maybe. But also, uh, I think we need to contextualize that and also to connect that uh, to our recent conditions. What Sriwijaya means for us, for young people at the moment, what Majapahit means. So, bitter, bitter so, fruit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we history. can... <laughs> so we can stop talking about the glorifications and also like the, the how dominant they are and 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 we can talk about the context yeah mm-hmm. like have we ever like like have have we talked enough about um for example like the roots of Basta Indonesia actually because of the Sriwijaya mm. that spread the Malay language across the archipelago. So then later, uh, we adopt that as our nation language, Bahasa Indonesia, mm. lingua franca from Bahasa Melayu. 
or maybe like can we talk about um, Majapahit kingdom legacy in respecting the pluralism things like that so first stop talking about like great monuments and also mm-hmm. um how great they were in the past mm. yeah yeah i think that is because we've been colonized for so long that we need that sense of like oh we used to be so powerful before you know the dutch <laughs> i don't know to show Maybe that we have good, the yeah. um if if someone or some groups uh say that uh, during the revolution era in 1945 until 1949 because we were actually uh, looking and also building the identity the greatness as indonesia mm-hmm. as indonesian but at the, at the moment come on <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and also we need to acknowledge about indigenous peoples too yeah. we should not forget that indonesia is a nation state yeah. nation state means not only the kingdoms or the uh dutch is indies but also the indigenous territory the indigenous mm-hmm. peoples that still struggling to be acknowledged yeah i mean yeah. like we haven't uh acknowledged the rights uh, the collective rights of indigenous peoples here mm-hmm. in indonesia Yeah. yeah. I think that is like when people talk about Indonesia, I think what they're really talking about is just Java and Sumatra. They don't think about the other smaller islands for sure, even though there's this idea that oh my god, we're so diverse. You mean Indonesian people talking about Indonesia or like Westerners talking about Indonesia or everyone because there's this idea that's been built that oh indonesia equals java and maybe a little part of sumatra and then the other islands are sort of just like and also the, bali and bali, bali. Is, no, bali is not in indonesia bali is just <laughs> like yeah like actually like western people they don't um they think bali is a country on its own um and then they they're shocked that bali is actually you know a part of indonesia um but but i think there's this like really strong idea that that somehow it's just like a very vague idea that all of these other islands are part of indonesia but then like even when i don't know how to explain this <laughs> like even when we t- like people are like oh my god Indo- as an indonesian um i'm going to wear batik and like celebrate batik day and then there's so many other kinds of textiles and fabrics but then the only one that's recognized is just batik 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 all the time which is very java centric right um, Um, and Dian, you you actually did research on textiles as well, right? Yeah, and 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 there is a movement to um, how do you call it to make um, batik as also part of other um, islands tradition too. Like, mm. I mean, like it's okay if. Uh, we have batik Papua. If Papuan people want to uh, create batik, yeah. their own batik. Yeah. But I mean, like the way we introduce batik Papua, for example, like come on, like like we make batik in Pakalongan, and then we send that to Papua, and then 
sell it as a souvenir for tourists who visit Papua. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, like mm-hmm. why not to explain about what is batik and also uh, the process to make batik to Papuan and then let them decide if they want to make their own batik or not. And they have yeah. their own textiles. Yeah, but why have to be, why why batik though? Because like every... Because they have their own textiles. Yeah. They have their own weaving um, practices. Apa sih tenun ikat? Yeah, in Papua, we, they, they have bark cloth, yeah? Yeah. I mean, you can also uh, sell those fabrics, you know, it doesn't have to be batik. Like, for example, songket. Songket is... Yeah, Java, Java-centric, yeah. Right, and also yeah. Malay-centric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I think it's really important for kids or for young people um, to create such a good atmosphere for us, for them, to talk about what does it mean being orang Indonesia and what is Indonesia because it's we need to discuss and to have a dialogue about it more and more and let us discuss discuss and divine and to, to, to give the context to the identity yeah yeah absolutely agree yeah So from from your travels and your research for this book where you traveled all over Indonesia what is do you do you have a new discovery about what it means for you to be orang Indonesia? Uh, I I I don't think so yeah because <laughs> um at the end of the book um I still questioning about such a definition and also i think not just as a queer people but as indonesians mm. i realize that identity is something that is also non binary thing for example like um your mom uh from Sumatra and also your father from Jaffa. Yeah, that's definitely my parents. Yeah. <laughs> and you were born and raised in Jakarta, for example, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. other cities. And then you get confused with your identity because it's so common ya yeah, in Indonesia. People ask about your cultural background. Kamu yeah. dari mana? Yeah. It 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 doesn't mean Uh, for us to say, oh, I'm from Jakarta, I'm from Bali, not that easy. It's not about the place, but yeah. sometimes it's also about identity. People ask that to 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 look uh, or to have such an orientation to talk with you. Are you like a Japanese? judgment? No. I don't. I don't think so. It's not like a judgment, yeah. But for example, if I am Japanese from Yogyakarta especially and I ask uh, kamu dari mana uh, where are you from and then you say you are also um, 
Japanese from Yogyakarta, maybe I will talk more polite to you, mm, more yeah. softer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I will have such an orientation on how to navigate myself the way I talk to you. Um, mm. So I don't feel also offensive if uh, someone asks me like, "Are you married or not?" It's so common here in Indonesia. Mm. Oh my god. Yeah. Kapan nikah? Yeah. <laughs> Udah punya keluarga belum? Do you have a family already? Yeah, but of course there is a shift, yeah. Um, like in 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 the recent situation, especially in urban, people ask that uh, to judge you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Not to look for such an orientation, <laughs> like oh. If you are a mother, of you have husband, that I have to respect you as a woman with kids or women with husband. But but sometimes now, if uh, single, yeah. Kapan yeah. <laughs> kawin? <laughs> Do you have personal problems with men? <laughs> yeah. And of course, you cannot say that you are gay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that's the interesting about Jakarta, though, because it feels like people don't want to say it that like, oh yeah, he's gay or something like that. But you, when you let's say you go to the mall and you know literally by see like see that like you see them, you know what I mean? Yeah, the Gondek guys. <laughs> even my best friend Bucci. okay yeah no i mean even my best friend he's like super gay but i think his family know because he's like that kind of on guy but uh his family is still like every year try to hook him up with a with a girl so it's yeah it's very interesting yeah sometimes people just um not to talk about that i mean like refuse to mm. to have more dialogue about about that right yeah. and also of course with the um homophobic situation here yeah 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 i also think it's not part of the indonesian quote unquote indonesian culture to have this like coming out and sitting down with your parents and saying hey like parents i am actually gay um like i think i think most parents know most parents have an idea if their kid is gay um but somehow either they accept it and they don't keep pushing um a partner of the opposite sex or um they they do what your friends parents did but i think like most like it i i guess like when i look at indonesian queer culture it's like your parents just know you know it's it's not like a big like i'm going to make an announcement kind of thing yeah i think we need to contextualize the definition of coming out because we don't have such a great moment like stonewall riot here yeah. so I I don't think. Do you think there will be in the future? Maybe. <laughs> I, I I don't think we also need that for sure, yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, queer culture actually exists mm-hmm. in almost every culture in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But sometimes yeah. the narratives 
the 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 existence of the queer visibility here hmm. um, in some culture disappear because of the uh, um, colonialization colonialization colonialism and then also like the recent situations hmm. um, the populism of anti LGBT things. Hmm. So it makes many of us uh, discreet, yeah. Hmm. Um, and also, like it's so interesting. Like there is an American anthropologue, um, his name Tom Bulstorff, and hmm. his book The Gay Archipelago, yeah. and he explained very well about the context of being open and being close as queer people here. terbuka and tertutup so you can be open in in the gay world here mm. in your own community but you can also close and also be discreet mm. in straight world yeah. <laughs> like at work or in your family if you live with a conservative or religious family mm. so mm. i think it's okay uh, we cannot push people to come out if they don't have or we cannot provide the support system yeah 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 Yeah. i mean speaking about culture it's very funny because like a lot of like indonesian people i think like from the previous generation they all they like to say uh but that's not our culture you know what i mean but then like well if we want to follow the culture then we we need to like go back back which is like um like what you said um pre-colonial yeah i mean not not just like like a queer queer history of indonesian uh communities yeah you know like the the one what is it called it's not binan uh bisu right bisu in yeah yeah Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be prejudiced. Because like most of the time, like it's not Indonesian culture, but then they stop at a certain point when, right? I mean, when I like uh, when I say pre-colonial, I mean colonialism. I guess introduce religion, right? And because of those religions, then this like queer culture becomes erased. Because I mean, I don't know. Majapahit is a Muslim kingdom. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Majapahit was a Muslim kingdom? No. Oh uh, no, I think like Mataram, yeah. Mataram, oh, Mataram? in, in oh, Java, okay. yeah. It's after Majapahit. Oh. Uh, we oh. have like old Mataram and new Mataram, and mm. new Mataram um, Muslim. Right, right. I mean, like Islam. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what I mean. Like pre pre colonial, also there's a religion and it's already. Yeah, I think. Uh, we cannot deny also that cultural genocide or destructions of LGBT people like systemic discrimination, stigma, violence are also part of, of LGBT people as Japanese, as Bataks, as Achenese, as Indonesian in general. Yeah, um, It happened at the same time as the strengthening of the clause of colonialism, imperialism, feudalism, capitalism, racism, militarism, and of course, Alex, monotheism, <laughs> broke by our colonizers. 
so I mean like the history of oppression and also the struggle of Indonesia to declare our independence from colonialism, fight for equality and equity and freedom. I mean like we we need to to rethink more and more to include the history of the oppression of LGBT people too, yeah. yeah. Because it's our history. Yeah. So, so tra- when you travel a lot, do you um, do you observe that there's a different kind of culture or treatment between queer communities in urban areas versus rural areas? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I I didn't mention to them about me as a queer. <laughs> And also, they didn't ask about that too. I think I I I never got such a questions about are you queer or not. Mm-hmm. But but or, of course, I didn't pretend myself as a straight person. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's just natural. Yeah, for for people everywhere in Indonesia to welcome strangers to be very open-minded in starting conversation with strangers with people from uh, outside their community i think we need to hold to that value yeah so so we don't judge uh people or label people or stigmatize yeah put stereotype oh you are japanese so you are like this like that oh you are gay so you are like this like that so yeah i i i don't think we need to um categorize people based on specific things i mean like if they ask about where are you from or are you married or not i think we need to see it as uh, something positive and also part of our traditions because like we have rules yeah we need mm-hmm. to maintain our interaction like we have ethical things and also moral value like for example if so- someone or i asks about your age if you are older than me so it would be good for me to call you mba or kaka big brother big sister mm. um not to call you by your nickname like ruth or alex <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so you traveled um to many rural areas all over Indonesia and yet your target audience was actually like the urban young population namely the young people in Jakarta um what what made you decide that because i consider myself as also a representation of young people too here <laughs> i'm still early 30s uh, and i think i think it's really important yeah for young generation to uh, i'm i'm not trying to educate them but i'm trying to give um my friends or young generation here an alternative narratives and reference 
to talk more about our history and also our identity because like i said before as a kid that was born and raised in the new order regime the our narratives about indonesia and the textbook about our history is so biased uh, so blurry i mean like especially to talk about communism as our history yeah, here mm-hmm. with the massacre and also genocide i mean we need to acknowledge that and also i we 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 need to learn about that so we can move forward yeah as a nation as an indonesian i mean, I mean like the pain is so real yeah mm-hmm. the victims still so still there mm-hmm. out there like they 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 are still uh, struggling to seek so, like justice yeah mm-hmm. so i hope um young people questioning more and more about our identity and care to explore more about our history because that that will give you such a map so you can navigate yourself as young people yeah do you feel that it's an issue of young versus old or rural versus urban or it's an issue of class because i feel like when you talk about this issue of like communism the people who don't want to talk about it are people are it, it's because of their class right because they are part of this privileged class that benefit from from this um that benefit from the the forgetting of that memory right i think all yeah i think like we have to create such a di- dialogue about class issue uh especially with with urban people yeah young people with the millennials sometimes we don't have such uh, awareness about the privilege but also like we need also to talk more about interfaith things and also minorities uh to talk more about our differences yeah mm-hmm. um i i i don't want to say that young people especially in urban area like jakarta um ignorant about other people no but but sometimes the situations make them to enjoy their bubble to enjoy their privilege without um having such a consciousness or awareness about the privilege that mm. we have as a young people in urban area so uh, i think we need to create such an situations that that more friendly for us to talk about the, the issues including class issues and also like indigenous peoples interfaith etc but do you think the younger generation in jakarta especially uh, they are into reading books Oh, uh, excuse me. Like we do, we we grew up without the culture of reading, like actually reading, reading. You know, I, I other um, than comics and 
There's no like like you think people in Jakarta grow up with a culture of like watching the TV, right? Because I've reading. heard I've I forgot who said it, but he said he's like a, a thinker. I think in Indonesia he said like we skip that era of reading because we were under colonization, and then we tried to build our country, and then MTV and TV came, so we kind of like skip the 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 era of reading and then just consume uh, entertainment to screens. But I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, like capitalism ruined everything here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we have we have to acknowledge that the the massacre, yeah, the genocide in 1965 and 66. Mm. I mean, like the government at that time, the military erased almost one. Generation like the one entire revolutionary generation. Yeah. So, so can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, even with, even with uh, the PKI, like we learned about it not through books but through movies. Like I remember in APC uh, SD in middle school, like my teachers always re- every year they always remind us to like don't forget to watch the movie Getigapol SPKI and blah blah blah. Yeah, and that's the that's the first like I learned about it through that movie. Other than that, like, and that's only one narrative, right? That the government tried to. Yeah, but but thank God with with the internet, yeah, yeah. because we have more alternatives here, yeah, to read alternative reference or alternative yeah. um, evidence about what was actually happening in the past. But we need. Government to acknowledge about that, yeah, it's so important. So we need our government, our president, to say sorry. It did happen. happen. It happened. <laughs> yeah. So, what are the things that you want people to take away after reading your book? What do um, you- to get confused? <laughs> yeah. To get confused about to ask more um, questions. Yeah, to ask more questions about Indonesia and also about being Indonesian. Yeah, mm. I want. I hope I could inspire them to explore their own experience, to be brave, to break the walls, uh, and then also to look for their own definitions about definitions about being Indonesian. I mean, me as a younger generations of this country have this perspective about this country, and then uh, you can start such a dialogue with so many people to talk about everything safely. <laughs> yeah. So you also have another travelogue book, right? Um, called Porno Tour. Yeah, por Porno Tour actually. Is my first travelogue exploring um, around 10 or 15, I forget, 10 or 15 popular tourism destination in Indonesia. So I make a, such a review based on my personal experience as a traveler or as a tourist, telling stories about the place and also the people in. The tourism destination in that in those popular tourism destination in Indonesia, and I uncover uh, 
porn things about the about the destination. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like I talk about Borobudur in Central Java, but I yeah mm-hmm. I, I I don't talk about the good side or the good things only about Borobudur, but I raise tourism ethics topic to discuss about tourism carrying capacity when um, in the Waisak, in the Fesak day. Mm. So something like that. Mm. For example, mm. like I explore Bali, but it's not about the beaches or the mountains or the good sides of Bali, but also like the um, slum area in Denpasar. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't enjoy the cake from the tourism. They don't mm-hmm. get any benefits from mm-hmm. the tourism industry there. So mm-hmm. actually, porn tour is a travelog that I write and through that book, I campaign about tourism ethics thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what specifically about uh, Borobudur Festival during the Fasak days that the Fasak day crossing the line of ethics. Of tourism so crowded mm. so crowded i mean like it's uh it's like hajj yeah in muslim mm. uh people yeah. mm. uh but for buddhism um so people from all over the world come to Borobudur to pray but at the same time tourists also want to see the spiritual ceremonies the event and so can you imagine like at the same spot you would see um spiritual person do praying in front of the stupa mm-hmm. and then tourists <laughs> take photos yeah about yeah, yeah. yeah. and mm-hmm. and the way they take photos sometimes neglect the ethics yeah i agree yeah. yeah it's very frontal i went yeah. i went once but i feel like during the ceremony in front of borobudur they i mean yeah there are a lot of tourists but not as much during the lantern ritual the the lantern racing uh even when they mm, i i don't think so because the peak moment that the tourists are waiting or come for is for that moment, yeah? Mm-hmm. The, the lantern, lantern festival. Yeah, yeah. But it's, the lantern is during the, the like, by, at the end of the, the day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so crazy. It's not just about ethic, I think. It's about safety, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, safety, <laughs> when we talk about um, tourism, like, every place, every site have um the maximum capacity mm-hmm. yeah for them to welcoming uh, the tourists so i think like the um borobudur um management or the how do you call it the mm-hmm. the organization or the company that mm-hmm. took responsibility of that like <laughs> i don't know yeah, yeah. care or not pay attention or not but do they uh, other than the police that 
control the traffic? It's BUMN, I think. Oh. Um, an entity that manage the Borobudur as a tourist destination, ya. Yeah. I mean, badan usaha milik negara, government enterprise, mm-hmm. ya. Yeah. State yeah, enterprise. Be- yeah, because when I was there, like one of my friend who's uh, working there, he was the the you no know, Buddhist the, from the Buddhist yeah. community. So they work for the to work at the festival. So I didn't see like they work with a governmental body that will help them organize this huge event because maybe the government see the ceremony as something beneficial for tourism mm. and also um, Buddhist people see it as something spiritual so there is a gap maybe yeah. and I think they need to do more dialogue about yeah. that <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think that's very important because now uh Indonesia is doing this thing for like digital nomad visa and it's like a lot of these people are the worst kinds of people, right? The digital nomads um who are trying to Wait, I, don't I don't know, know like maybe my, the, my what's the definition of digital nomad? I'm not aware of it. Like basically you work on a computer. Um, so you don't even work for a company. You just like do your own thing, like startup or whatever. Um, and then you can work on a beach. Um, and then in Bali and Lombok, there's a lot of, you know, um, foreigners who are doing that. And basically, I mean, I've, I've known this for a long time, but like now people are finally uh, publishing data and articles about how these people are actually illegal over there because they come with a tourist visa and if you're on a tourist visa you're not even allowed to earn money right um but then these people mm-hmm. so these people are earning money and they're selling ebooks and they're becoming models because you know they're white and everything um and and that's what you call a digital nomad and it's just it's very unsustainable like it's very you know when i yeah uh, when i talk to my friends in bali they they hate that because they don't number one they don't build community and number two there's this entitlement of like oh i am actually helping your economy because your economy is struggling right um but really they're just uh ruining a lot of things in the long term yeah i think we need to see that it is the rights of uh people to do travel to anywhere and it's our rights to work overseas or anywhere in this world but also we cannot um deny or neglect about the gap the privilege that we have for example like for for american um developed country and also like when you come to south countries or indonesia you can enjoy so many privilege not mm. just as white people but also to take benefits from the currency of the money yeah, yeah. and also the different uh, standard of living yeah yeah i'm curious about the i'm just it's just out of my curiosity what's the difference between bali aga and bali majapahit well actually i'm not balinese uh. <laughs> so Um, I don't know, it would be inappropriate if I answer that, mm-hmm. but um, actually like Bali Aga is um, 
like the the history of Bali originate. Some some agree to say that Balinese people actually from eastern part of Indonesia, and then they have to move from um, eastern Java, which is mm-hmm. now uh, Jawa Timur. They have to immigrate to Bali because of some um, reasons, natural disasters, or so like mm-hmm. the invasion of Islamic Kingdom yeah. in Central Java. But before they came to the island, um, Balinese people already exist there. What they call mm-hmm. as Bali Aga. Mm-hmm. So. But we should not say that there is um, genuine Baliness or not genuine Baliness. There are Baliness in with their own history and culture. Mm. So mm. yeah, um, mm. some people define Bali Aga as old Balinese, uh, Bali tua, Bali mm. lama, or orang Bali who lives. in the mountainous area mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. and their culture so different yeah with the recent bali that we know especially in like urban the area or coastal yeah. area of bali okay mm-hmm. oh speaking of deforestation so when you went to kalimantan is there like um in the community is there a problems that caused by deforestation that impact the food in a sense that because deforestation we don't have corn anymore for instance yeah that caused yeah, the local felt, community yeah i felt so sad to see the lives of indigenous peoples in kalimantan because companies and also government um still their ancestor mm-hmm. land yeah? yeah their indigenous territory for Uh, palm oil plantation and also mining yeah so can you imagine like the lives of indigenous peoples there they depend on forest to make mm. a living and then suddenly they their forest uh stolen or disappear or suddenly change into giant plantation monoculture So can you imagine it's so hard for them to survive, especially indigenous peoples that live near or inside the forest that now uh, already change uh, into palm oil plantation or mining. Mm-hmm. But is there a, like an instances that literally affect the their traditional food? Yeah, of course, because um, many... Indigenous peoples there um, implement what we call traditional farming, farming. Yeah? peladangan mm. tradisional, mm. peladang. You know how to translate it. So, so sometimes they open uh, certain area to plant uh, corks, and then after that, they just let the land to heal themselves, mm. and mm-hmm. then they move. Mm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's Yeah, it's the rotation. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are not say that they. Um, how do you call it? Like merambah hutan or destroy the forest? No, mm. I mean like they don't use chemical 
things in farming so they need to let the land to heal themselves for a certain time and then they will come back to that uh, spot maybe in five years or three mm-hmm. years or maybe 10 years mm-hmm. so i think sometimes we neglect that that tradition that culture that habit and then we easily judge them as a farmer who destroy forest yeah mm-hmm. um but not like that like the narratives um totally different yeah uh, in their perspective yeah i think we need to respect that yeah yeah okay so since it seems like you eat everything from your book what are the <laughs> things that you don't eat <laughs> uh, things that i don't eat i think um i don't need to eat for example like monkey mm. crocodile snake something like that yeah when i um visited north sulawesi uh, minahasa or specifically tomohon the indigenous people there eat uh everything there is a joke that you can eat everything uh but not uh table or chair <laughs> i mean like you can you can eat everything that have feet but not um not apa ya kaki kaki yeah. yang uh, berkaki semua bisa dimakan kecuali, uh, kecuali except for tables and chairs yeah Um, and yeah, as long as there is or you put a chili <laughs> on that, um, I I decided not to try to eat um monkey, snake, or cat or dogs because I I didn't um like I I'm I'm not part of them because they. as indigenous peoples they have they on habit or tradition or culture why they eat bats dog something like that because they take care of their forests very well mm-hmm. yeah. um, they contribute something to the sustainability of the forest and hunting still become a uh, part of their culture Mm-hmm. and i'm i'm not part of the communities i cannot uh do hunting i don't give any contribution to the sustainability of their forest so i decide not to try to eat uh, things that they eat mm-hmm. so i think we need to have that consciousness yeah in eating uh, things or foods <laughs> yeah Yeah. Can I ask yeah. what's the most adventurous thing that you've eaten? <laughs> um table. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> uh if only if you're um, comfortable, if you're comfortable answering. Yeah, you know like in um North Sumatra, um in Batak culture, they have uh nani ura. Nani ura is um, goldfish, yeah, ikan mas. Uh-huh. Yeah, 
so they actually not cook the fish so it's oh, like the right? batak sushi version oh. um as a japanese it's not my habit to eat raw things <laughs> so it yeah i i felt so weird when um try to eat um raw things yeah raw mm-hmm. foods like sushi or like nani ura uh so yeah i i'm, I'm not trying to say that it's not delicious not but it's just a bit weird for yeah. me <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it reminds me of um you know in uh in japan they they have these like baby octopus and they tie um, the they tie the tentacles and you're supposed to swallow it before the tentacles unwrap because if they unwrap in your throat yeah. then it's gonna like you're gonna suffocate but then if you swallow it really fast then when it unwraps your stomach acid will just you know dissolve the octopus but like i don't know it uh, when you talked about how it's it's raw or it's like it reminded me of that because um yeah <laughs> yeah when when i visited mentawai they have tradition to eat uh ulat sagu ah. like uh, yeah alive the, the caterpillar yeah um it's so good because it contains high protein for them uh-huh. and They have a specific name about the ulat sagu. So my friend told me that, oh, you are in Mentawai, so you have to try this. I forget the name. And then I talked to my friends, native Mentawai there, to find this food. Uh, and then they said like, uh, do you know what uh, it is? No, I don't know. That's why I want to try to have that. And then they said, oh, it's caterpillar. So you have to eat it alive. Mm. <laughs> like, like the baby octopus. Yeah. And then, oh, oh, oh my God. Like, because I already said that. Mm, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> it would be rude. Yeah. <laughs> But then I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I was lucky that, that, that time because they say, oh, it's unfortunately it's not the harvest time for mm-hmm. us to have the ulat sagu so you cannot have that at the moment like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i wonder i wonder if there's like some sort of etiquette um for saying no they no. know to certain things because i so i i can't eat organs um Like I, I can't eat like brain or um, intestines or liver or lungs and stuff. Um, but these things, I guess, are common and I feel rude if I say no. Um, and I wonder, like, from your experiences, do you think like there's an etiquette, a proper way to say no? Yeah, I, I, I have a friend, um, white, a foreigner, and in his country, it's not common. For them to eat what we call here as jeroan, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> lungs, liver, or something like that. Um, and then when he's in Indonesia, you know, it's part of 
our habit to eat jeroan yeah. ya yeah. it's everywhere <laughs> and then surprisingly he really enjoy that um, <laughs> i mean like he um not consider that as a disgusting thing because in his country they consider it is not appropriate for people to eat lungs things like that yeah mm. so maybe that's just because um people there have no idea how mm. to cook that <laughs> so <laughs> so so he said like uh, indonesian know uh, very well on how to cook those materials mm. to become such a delicacy delicious. or delicious foods mm. <laughs> so he said i could enjoy that <laughs> mm. you as indonesian when you go to let's say your friend's house and their mother cooks something that you let's say a dog or something that you have principle you're not going to eat how to say no i think um in indonesian in indonesia we we are like um muslim people have their own rules mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. in eating um so for example like when i was kid or until now when i uh visit my friends they are christian or non muslim um they i think they will ask are you muslim or not um, so they yeah, yeah. they will respect you um, on how they will serve the foods that you can eat or maybe they will let you know oh this is actually pork if you not eat pork then you can have another uh yeah i think something like that it's so common um and also it's so so common also for us to say about that oh i'm muslim is it okay something yeah. like that yeah yeah and sometimes here people also quite surprised to uh, know that i'm muslim and i eat pork <laughs> <laughs> of course this is <laughs> i but the thing is i feel like more and more and maybe this is also in my bubble but a lot of my muslim friends eat pork and maybe again like maybe this is also just my little bubble where i'm like oh like a lot of muslims eat pork yeah. but maybe it's just my friend circle yeah i think it's great yeah that uh people have their own interpretations about um religion thing yeah 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 and i i i i enjoy to see my friends expression when they know about oh you're muslim and you eat pork <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah all right should we ask our last two questions sa Yeah. So yeah. normally we ask um, our two closing questions. The first one is, um, what are the biggest misconceptions or revelations that you discovered from your research journey? Aduh, apa ya? <laughs> <laughs> um, that there is no Indonesian food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would agree with that because I think Indonesian food not not really exists because what exists is 
Japanese food, uh, Batak food, uh, Achenese food, things like that. Um, maybe if uh, I don't know um, if we consider nasi kuning as Indonesian food, we need to have a dialogue with our friends from Papua because mm-hmm. Papua is also yeah. part of Indonesia at the moment. Something mm-hmm. like that, um, and also like. To, to notice that um, to talk about identity is not binary, that the identity as Indonesian can be so hybrid. Yeah? Mm. I can call myself as a Japanese, even though I cannot talk Japanese. Or maybe, uh, for example, like if my mother from... Bali or my father, my, my, my mother from Bali and my father from Jogja. And then suddenly I feel more Balinese and then I can say like I'm Balinese or maybe I can say like I'm Japanese Balinese or maybe because I was born and raised in Jakarta, I would just say like, oh, I'm just a from Japan. Jakarta kid that can speak Balinese right. something like that so so I think it's so queer to actually talk about identity and and there is no something pure yeah about identity yeah yeah so if 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 there's no there's no such thing as Indonesian food and if identity like there's nothing pure about identity what is this home that you're talking about on this blend of spices aduh apa ya <laughs> menurutmu kayak gimana coba ulang uh, because the title of your book is a, a home on uh. like spice island right so if the if there's no such thing as Indonesian food which is like the, the thing that's like bridge our culture together, then what is this home that you're talking about in your book? What, what it represents? I think, um, yeah, I, I see like Indonesia as a metaphor, as a symbol, like, like a home for us, for so many differences. And me as part of Indonesia, is maybe like not really significant, but I play part in building uh, such a small mosaic that uh, shape Indonesia, something like that. Mm. So I think to see Indonesia as a home, it means like we need also to take care uh, about that we need to respect about people who lives under the same roof yeah uh, yeah something like that so i think why it is about spices because i think um like we talk about food a lot yeah um mm-hmm. i think we need to see indonesian food um is a process of ongoing dialogue that goes beyond identities and through food or also spices we can memorialize the role of spices in fueling the 
the the spirit of revolution i mean like i'm not trying to glorify the revolution of 1945 until 1949 but i think we need to contextualize that uh, because freedom is not taken for granted like we have to discuss and put meaning on how we define freedom yes like for example like what does freedom mean for me as queer gay in indonesia in a situation that my country not acknowledge the rights of lgbt people here yeah yeah <laughs> apalagi itu satu satu pertanyaan ada lagi kalau yang pertanyaan kedua ayo pertanyaan kedua tapi atau udah dua ke yang kedua simple like what is your favorite indonesian dish but there's no such thing as indonesian dish okay uh, the <laughs> Nusantara Archipelago's dish. <laughs> I, I I really like noodles, yeah. So um, noodles is my comfort food. So I'm lucky. So when I travel to so many places in Indonesia, noodles tradition or meat tradition, it is everywhere in this country. So I really enjoy. Mi Aceh that is so spicy and hot, mm. and but also I can enjoy Mi Pontianak um, mm. in Kalimantan, um, and also like Mi Bangka or maybe like the sweet version of Mi Jawa. Mm. I can tolerate that. Um, so yeah. I really like Chinatown here in Indonesia. So wherever I go, I would try to pay a visit to Chinatown or we call it uh, Pecinan here yeah. because the nuance and also like the atmosphere so great, yeah, with the hybridity of the Chinese Indonesian people here and also their tradition and their unique art and culture and also uh, Tasty foods, ya, uh, makanan peranakan, so delicious. Yeah, and and they have so many types because, like the Chinese people in Indonesia, they they are so adaptive, ya. They yeah. are so easily uh, mix integrate with the integrate, with the yeah, with, yeah, with the local yeah. culture yeah. here. Makes me hungry. <laughs> I I also love noodles, and the thing is, I grew up eating more. I, I don't know. It's like because everyone and like when people say, "Oh, Indonesians need to eat rice." It's like if you don't eat rice, you don't feel like you really ate food. Like you do, you don't feel like you ate a full meal. But then the thing is, I eat more like noodles, bihun, kwetiau than rice. <laughs> And so I'm like, I actually eat more noodles, like rice noodles or egg noodles, but I don't eat a lot of rice. Um, and people, too. yeah, and people find that weird, and I don't know yeah. why. Maybe it's a Jakarta thing. Do you think it's a Jakarta thing? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Jaffa thing. Yeah, I think I because think so. people in eastern part of Indonesia still eat sagu, and sagu actually come from. Uh, their forest, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the narratives um, 
in in general for Indonesian or from our government to eat rice more and more. I mean, like it's like an effort for some people here to neglect their their own food, like to forget eating sagu, mm. uh, to forget eating cassava or sweet potato. Mm-hmm. So government or companies uh, easier to steal the forest here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think that because we talk about like a lot of the Indonesian food have like all of this influence from um, Middle East or India or China. Do you feel like basically Indonesian quote unquote Indonesian food have all been um, influenced from the outside? Um, And is there, I don't know, I was going to ask, is there food that has not been influenced you know has not been influenced of course not (laughs) i think like Mm. the richness and delicacy of foods here are not taken for granted yeah Mm. Um, but when we talk about uh food of papua let's say sagu is that is that like uh, outside influence or because they lived with the plants uh the, the sagu plants that they eat them Um, I, I I'm I'm not Papuan. Um, yeah, me too. So <laughs> but I'm just trying to. But my perspective is food also represents the resilient power. Like for example, like the the Chinese people here, they are so easy to integrate um, the local culture with their own culture. I mean, like it's their power mm-hmm. to survive. But but I think we need to see the same thing with, for example, like the indigenous peoples who are so um, resistant and resilient to keep their forests and to keep their foods. But I think they are also um, open-minded or will welcome another things outside of their community, but it takes time, time. Uh, mm-hmm. and also like we need to respect the process yeah mm-hmm. i mean like i heard news that now many indigenous peoples in papua eat more rice or mm-hmm. maybe like the government or companies substitute their sagu with yeah. instant noodles yeah. and yeah it's so sad yeah and we have so many cases with malnutrition there because yeah, yeah it it takes time and let mm. them to decide and we have to respect them and also we have to protect the the the, the resource of foods mm. when yeah we, to connect that with the food sovereignty I think mm-hmm. like it's different uh, case with the people in urban area and also in rural or in forest in the right. context of indigenous communities. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Indomie is Indonesian food. The definition of Indomie. <laughs> <laughs> Indomie, Indonesian me, right? So it's literal. Yeah, literal it's so iconic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We hope this episode made you as hungry as it made us, or at least curious about the many dishes throughout the Malay archipelago and the connection between our food and our history. How is Mpempe related to the US-backed massacre of communists and leftists in Indonesia? How does Soto show the multiplicity and hybridity of Indonesia? Dian Spok Rumah di Tanah Rempah is an enjoyable travelogue that follows the traditional foods throughout all the different provinces and how these foods are real signs of resilience and resistance. The book is still awaiting English translation, but if you read Indonesian or are learning Indonesian, this is definitely a book to check out. Dian also has a blog on Medium and an essay in the anthology book by ASEAN Sogi Caucus titled Queer Imaginings, collection of writings by LGBTQI thinkers. Follow Dian on Instagram under the handle at penjelajah underscore rempah for photos from his travels, including the stories behind these foods. And visit penjelajahrempah.com for more info on his book. Thanks for listening. And until our next feast. Indonesian food is a process of ongoing dialogue that goes beyond identities. Thank <laughs> you.